darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew Good morning, brothers and sisters. Greetings to you on this Palm Sunday. I've been in the habit of uh, mentioning the welcome card since we haven't had registration. So if you're relatively new here, you're thinking about uh, how can I get more involved, what uh, happens during the week, please take a moment to fill one of these out. You can leave it on one of the back kiosks or uh, with someone who works at the church. But again, just a way to, to plug in more. And if you need uh, additional reminders than what I'm uh, about to say on the announcements, that's a great place to start. Uh, so uh, firstly, a thank you. you. Hopefully you noticed on the way in all those baby items out in front of the welcome desk. That's uh, donations from the church for Cornerstone Pregnancy Center. So thank you very much. That partnership's been such an encouragement uh, to them and to us and just the, the stance they're taking on, on life. And I'm just, again, thank you for being such a generous church in so many ways. And to Christy Hooper, Laura Lenz, Melinda Molina, many of the, the ladies who came on Friday to collect the items, uh, thank you, a special thank you to you. Okay, men's camping event coming up if you're into the outdoors, April 17th to the 18th. Uh, just uh, should be a time out in God's creation, a chance to have some fellowship around the Word, just healthy interaction. Uh, Pastor Joe is uh, here today. You can talk to him as he is every Sunday. You can talk to Pastor Joe. I know Matt Anglehart is involved. So the men's camping event, April 17th to the 18th and overnight. You have details on the website. We'd, we'd love to see you there. It should be a really encouraging time. Youth ministry, what we call Aftershock. You have a spring event coming up on April 13th. Uh, they've rented out all of Play Clee. Maybe you've seen that. You're driving down 90. You see that big place. It's called Play Clee. Uh, they have all kinds of, you know, obstacle courses. Just a really neat place. So our church rented it out that evening. Great time to invite somebody. who's like, you know, I'm thinking more about God and what Christians are like. That'd be a perfect event to invite them to. It just sounds like a lot of fun. So Tuesday evening, April 13th, Play Clee for the youth. Okay, Big change coming up on April 11th. We're going to move to two services. We've been at three to allow uh, space for those who want it at the eight. So starting April 11th, so Easter will still be on this format, but April 11th, we're going to go to two services at 9 and 1030. 9 and 1030. The child care will be at the nine. We hope in the fall as uh, we have volunteers that moving uh, child care into the 1030 hour. Uh, so two services starting April 11th. The live stream, for those of you at, at home this morning, which I know is a, a significant number of you know we, we long to all be together again, but the live stream will be at 10.30, so that's um, a change of one hour, obviously. So two services, April 11th, and as I said in the email, there's always more room up front by me uh, if you need that space. Good Friday service, April the 2nd, this upcoming Friday, 7 p.m., we'll be here. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, of course, have a, a study of God's Word about what happened at the cross. That will be live-streamed at 7 o'clock, but we will be in person. So Good Friday, April 2nd, 7 p.m., here in person or uh, live-stream and, and at Lord's, Lord's Supper. Child care next weekend on Easter is a little bit different. We only do nursery to pre-K, so the little ones will have their normal Sunday school, uh, but all the uh, children in grade school will be in with us, which is a great celebration. We love that, a family service on Easter. So again, Easter next week, 8, 9.30, and 11, same as we have been 
And with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Ian, who has a very special announcement for us, and his wife, Renee. Well, church, good morning. Just wanted to update, we just wanted to update you on, uh, if you received an email this Friday from our elders, uh, and the email was just affirming a uh, transition for myself uh, from where I am now, pastor of worship, to pastor of discipleship. And um, this has been uh, lots of seeking the Lord, Renee and I together, talking lots together. I felt bad for her sometimes, how, many, how much we've talked about it. Um, but really what this means is just my responsibilities here, just shifting and increasing a bit. I'll remain in worship, and I'll remain uh, worshiping regularly with you. It's a joy of my life to be able to sing with the saints, sing with you guys to the Lord's glory. So that'll continue, but I'll just start to shift and um, experience more uh, teaching and uh, preaching and discipleship ministry here at the church. So we're very excited. It's a, it's a, a welcomed uh, season for us, and really just trying to follow the Lord's will and what appears to be uh, this next chapter or next course for us and our family. And um, we just thank you for your prayers. I'm indebted to so many of you who I've sought counsel from and asked for prayer and just the wisdom and insight and the love that you've, you've shared with me and, and, and as I've wrestled with, you know, what's next. And so um, if you have any questions at all, I'd love to talk with you after the service. You can talk to Austin or an elder here, um, but just know that we're very excited. And uh, just uh, the Lord is good and he's faithful in all his works. So let's go ahead with that and let's just stand together as we begin our time worshiping. Uh, Father, we just uh, praise you for your glory, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you, Father, for the way that you shepherd us, the way that you guide us and direct us. Every step of ours is established by you and you alone. We plan our way, Father, but you are the God who knows our hearts and establishes our steps. This morning, Father, we celebrate your son's week of passion. We call Holy Week. It's a week set apart from any week where he, instead of running from Jerusalem, confidently led his disciples back into Jerusalem where he would at first be praised, he would at first be adored and heralded as king. And Lord, just a week later, Christ would be our offering. He would be rejected and despised and mocked and scorned and held up on a cross becoming sin though he knew none of it. Father, how can we how can we continue to uh, praise you and love you, Lord, as we've you've demonstrated such compassion and mercy over us. So Father, we offer our our meek and humble praises before you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work you've done on our behalf and the rich blessing of knowing you, the God of all. We praise you, Father. We praise the Son. We praise the Spirit in your name. Amen.
Well, let's remember our Lord's triumphal entry back into Jerusalem together as we reflect on these words from the Lord. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of the beast of burden. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he, he Jesus, sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Christ said, as it's recorded by John, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Amen. Cheers. 
You can be seated, church. Good morning. Would you please bow with me your heads and your hearts as we pray? From Luke's gospel, it says, And they, the disciples, brought the colt to Jesus, and throwing their cloak on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning uh, in acknowledgement of this historical fact of where your Son was glorified. And years, years, and years later to where we are today, Lord, we do the same in lifting up your Son corporately and praising his name, um, that which is due his name. And so we say what the disciple says as, as, as today, that blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Lord, we thank you for the words that we were able to sing before you to bring glory to your Son. Uh, we thank you for the scriptures that we've already read. Lord, that uh, truly they would be a reflection of our hearts. Lord, as we uh, gather together as a body as well, we're family and we follow Christ together. And Lord, we lift up some of those in our family. Lord, we lift up the Tomasula family, Lynn Tomasula. Uh, her in the passing of her mother, Krista, this past week. We pray as the family mourns, Lord, that you would, your, they would sense your presence, but also that they would celebrate her homecoming, uh, that she's in the presence, uh, in your presence, uh, and find a sense of hope and comfort in that one day we'll all be together, um, as your word says in Revelation 21, that we would all be singing together, worthy are you, worthy are you, praising uh, your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we also lift up Dawn to you, who's uh, recovering from surgery on her wrist. Lord, we ask that you just be, uh, bring uh, continued comfort to her, encouragement in her heart, uh, and uh, just a peace. And uh, just give her a, a good day of uh, just knowing that you are sovereign and that you're caring for her. And uh, we just lift her up for your care. Lord, as uh, people begin to travel over the next few weeks, Lord, in uh, spring break, Lord, we pray for safety and travel and transition, uh, a time of reflection over this last year, uh, just to bring praise to you and who you are and what you've accomplished in our lives. And so we ask for safety and, and, and fellowship as families go meet other family members, maybe for the first time. Lord, we lift up our brother Ian to you and the transition that you've called him to. And we affirm and, 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 and are encouraged in the confirmation of your spirit's work in his life. And so, Lord, now we ask that you would uh, just continue to bless his ministry. Lord, that, uh, he would, um, that you would continue to use his mind and his knowledge of the scriptures in the context of discipling. Uh, and that uh, the work of your spirit would take root in the hearts that he ministers to. And so we ask that you protect him, guard him from discouragement and distraction, and help him to focus on the one... Um, you who have called him to this, uh, this task here at Providence. And so we are encouraged and look forward to the ministry that you have for him. Um, and as we continue to pray for our church, the ministries and the people that you have called, we lift up Caleb as he leads Aftershock and Dawn, uh, the children's ministry and small groups and 
uh, all the ministries that you um, allow us to uh, uh, effectively try to uh, point people to your son. Lord, we pray for a blessing on that and decisions as we call our church family together to vote on a budget, uh, that we would all stand united in um, what you desired and called us to do. Lord, we lift up those who we support, uh, both domestically and globally. Lord, we lift up Cornerstone and Love, Inc., and ask that you would continue to bless those ministries and provide the resources that they need. Lord, we, we're thankful for the nations that you have brought to us and our international student ministry, Lord, that, that uh, relationships are built and as the gospel expands, Lord, your spirit will work in the lives of these students who are here, um, and that one day, maybe, Lord, they would go home and they would be the missionaries to their nation. And so we pray for blessing on international student ministry. For those who are scattered all over the globe in harm's way, Lord, we pray that all believers would gather this day and remember and bring glory to your son who was glorified 2,000 years ago as we just read the scriptures, all um, in unity of following your son. And Lord, now as we turn to the scripture and uh, as Austin leads us, we pray that, uh, again, that we, our hearts would be uh, impacted in the ways the early church uh, did when Peter preached at Pentecost, that our hearts would be cut, and that your spirit would use your word this day and this week when we need it the most. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, would you please stand with me as I read uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22 beginning in verse 1 through uh, verse 14, and I will be reading from the ESV. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized their servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servant, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, and both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and took and looked at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In the place there will be no weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. You may be seated. Well, it is Palm Sunday as we've been celebrating. And what this marks, of course, is Jesus' uh, the start of the last week of his earthly ministry. And we're in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 21 begins with the triumphal entry. 
Now, if you just think about how things are arranged, you ask how important are the events of Easter season for the Christian? And you say, Matthew's a long gospel, 28 chapters, and yet one-fourth of it, a quarter of the gospel, is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. So if you say, how exactly do we make sense of, you know, the cross and what happened there? Thank goodness that the gospel writers say, this is the key of the matter. That this one who is ministering, the one who is God's son, is in fact the one who goes to the cross and whom God raised from the dead. And this is what we celebrate in Eastertide. And Palm Sunday again being the start of that Holy Week. So if you notice, Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry. And the parable we read today, Matthew 22 would be, in fact, the day after Palm Sunday. So you can see uh, Matthew 21 and verse 18 in the morning, and Jesus uh, judges the temple. So we're on that second day, and what he does is he delivers some of these very hard-hitting and pointed parables. I've always been actually quite drawn in by these parables. You ever notice in, in the Matthew 20s how many times Jesus gives these very direct and very challenging stories? You say, why does he do that? You know, I have to believe it's because we've become so inured uh, to the Christian holidays. You know, they'll ask a pastor, well, do you like to, to preach on the Christian holidays, you know, at the Christmas time and Easter? Say, well, yes, of course. I mean, these are the great uh, high points of the Christian liturgical calendar. Of course, I like to preach, but at the same time, we can become so very bored. We get sidetracked with just the gravity of the affair. And I wonder if one of the many gifts God gives us in these parables is to grab our attention to say, you know, this is serious business. Don't be bored by this story of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised. In fact, this is the most important thing, God raising up his son from the grave, the greatest victory and the greatest truth in the history of the world. Pay attention, church. Don't be bored, but be alert. And so he comes in and he speaks today's parables, really the third one in a row. You will look at Matthew 21 and verse uh, 28, the parable of the two sons, then 21 and 33, the parable of the tenants, and today the parable of the wedding feast, the third in a series. And so we see, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, say, why does he speak in parables? Or first, what is a parable? A parable is a short, illustrative story that shows us how God interacts with his creatures in the world. So you'll notice many of them, as this one does, 22 and verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like. That is how God rules, how he reigns, how his kingdom goes forth is like this. And he tells a story. So if you're going through this and you're reading and your first, you know, your mind goes to something like, well, that's not true. That could never be true. You say you're really misreading the parables, that the parables aren't history stories and historical narrative as other parts of the Bible certainly are, but rather it's an illustrative story to show this is what God has done in Christ and this is who he is, and this is how we're to respond. You know, I think of the parables really as a, as a, a many-sided precious stone. That depending on where you look at the precious stone, you're going to see a different angle of luster. And so you'll notice the immediate audience, the chief priests and the Pharisees, 21 and verse 40, 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Say, well, they got that right. So they heard the sting, right? That they hear the parable and they say, well, this is coming at us. Others hear the parables and they don't know what to make. They say, well, that's a very interesting story and they go about their business and they don't think of it again. Uh, it means nothing. That's why when Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, hear. 
he repeats that. What does he mean? Let those who have ears to hear, hear. He says, my people, the one who are, ones who are called out by me, who are thinking about this stuff, are going to realize the deeper message in the illustration. That we kind of get up on the edge of our chairs, right? That we have ears to hear. And we say, God's saying something very profound in this parable that I have to pay attention to. And so that's what I mean. The, per- the parable, a short illustrative story showing the genius of Jesus that depending on the condition of your heart, you're gonna see something else. Well, is this just him making fun of me? Is this something I can forget about? Is this boring? Or is this, I've gotta pay very close attention to this because I wanna have ears to hear and I wanna respond to the message as he's presented it. So like anything in the Bible that we have an immediate context, that is the original audience, and we'll talk about that for a moment, and then its application to us. So the immediate uh, context is that Jesus is, is uh, taking it to the religious experts of the day. So the audience, notice where they are of all places. They're in the temple. It's during Passover. So the key event in the Jewish calendar, Passover, at the most crucial place, the temple, and the chief priests and the elders of the people are coming up around him in the crowds, 21 and verse 23. So here they are. This is the high point of their, uh, you know, in many ways, the high point of the year. They're around the temple. They're all the religious experts, and Jesus is going to sting them. Says all you guys say, in your great learning, in all the things that you've memorized, and how you've been able to, to flaunt that over the people. Said, actually, you've missed it. That the condition of your heart is actually stony. And he shocks them and says, you think you're the ones who are in the right position with God because of who you are and your pedigree, but actually it's not you, it's the outsiders. So the immediate sting comes to the religious experts of the day because they didn't have tender hearts to hear the parables. And boy, does it come true. Take a look at verse seven, right? That the king in this uh, illustration, right? He's gonna go out and burn their city for their hardness of heart. And that comes true. You know, a little bit of history, right? The year 70 AD, that the temple, this very temple mount that they're standing on when Jesus is telling the parable, he says, you know, your city's gonna be burned. Well, it comes true that all they'd live for would be taken down because they didn't respond to the Lord. So there's the immediate context of Jesus shocking the religious experts that then it comes to us. Say, what could this parable mean for us at Easter time? And why would Jesus uh, give these to us during Holy Week? So we'll make a couple of moves, just moving through the parable. I think bullheading number one in your notes is where we'll begin, that our gracious God, i.e. the king in the parable, uh, our gracious God arranges the banquet and sends the invitations. So you read this parable, you say, where do your eyes go? You say, how does the modern mind work? So I think the modern mind works like this. They say, well, what a, what a vindictive king. I mean, look at how angry this guy is. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of out of control. He goes out, it says that he's angry, he burns the city. Is this a parable of judgment? You say, well, there's most certainly an element of judgment and warning. There's no doubt about that, but what we must see what we must see is that this is about the grace and kindness of the king. That this is about an invitation to the joy of being with God, both in this life and the life to come. Can you see the king? He's not, uh, he doesn't prepare the feast for his own benefit that he doesn't uh, say he's not a kind of uh, you know maniac who needs to be uh, you know you know arrange this banquet for his own rather what we get the image of is that there's a king who wants to celebrate 
and wants the people who he invites to celebrate, if you will, in the same wedding tent as him, that he wants to bring in all the people. And you notice that wonderful line, right? That he sends out the invitation, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Friends, at first, we shouldn't be drawn to the judgment of the king, but rather to the kindness of the king that the God of the Bible is one who initiates. He's the one who has the resources, that he spared no expense. He says, to be in fellowship with me is to experience great joy and outgo the invitations. And do you notice, too, uh, the reason for the feast? Say, it comes right there in verse 2, right, that he's celebrating this feast for the Son. A lot of people will ask me, say, well, you know, you can believe in God and be fine with God if you don't, you know, you don't need any of that Jesus stuff. That's just weird. You know, everybody believes in a God. I'll just take that. Forget Jesus. You say over and over again, the Bible would say, no, God, God sent Jesus as the means by which we're made right with him. And so to say no thanks to the son is to insult the king. That the king here, the Lord of all, arranges the banquet. He spares no expense. He sends out the invitations. In fact, he sends out the invitations more than once. The way that weddings work, there would have been an initial invitation. We'll get to more in a moment. An initial invitation, then when everything's prepared, he sends out another round, and then you'll notice he yet again sends his servant. That it's a gracious and kind and patient king. And we also don't want to miss in this, the fact that this is a parable of a wedding banquet is how common this theme is in the Bible. I know some of you are even ahead of us. You know your scripture well. You say this comes up over and over again, that God with his people in a, in a great wedding feast comes all throughout the Bible. Isaiah 25, God's going to prepare a great feast. You go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 19 and 21, say God's preparing the great feast. Say this is a great, what we call an eschatological image, uh, a great view of what it's going to be like in glory where all God's people are feasting and having a great time of joy. They're making merry. Say, what's heaven like? You know, being, being bored? You know, reclining on the cloud with the harp? Say, the image that the Bible uses is actually it's going to be a, like a great, a great party, a great banquet of joy where the king and the son are celebrated and all God's people are invited, invited in. Let us see in these parables over and over again that our God is gracious that he's kind, he's initiated, he's spared no expense, he's patient. Our gracious God arranges the banquet. He sends out the invitations. He's prepared it all. Anyone who has ears to hear, hear. But what happens, so after the gracious God does everything, say, what happens to those who are first invited? So the way that it would have worked in antiquity is, again, an initial uh, wedding invitation would have went out, and all the king's buddies, you know, all the others said, well, I'll be there, of course. It's your son. Just send out that invitation, and I'll be sure to come. I'll come with a nice gift. Just, you know, I, I'm definitely going to come. That's how they would have responded initially. But what happens, verses 3 and 5? So the king, the moment comes, he sends out the servants to call those who were already invited. They had given a verbal agreement to come, but they would not come. The tents there, they, they kept on refusing to come. Or again in verse 5, right? But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. In other words, they said, you know, I've got way too much going on. That they gave the verbal commitment, yeah, we're with you. But when the moment came to celebrate together, they actually said no thanks. And their reasons for 
you know, not coming actually are, are not bad reasons. What do they do? Say, well, some of them, they go to their farm, another to their business. It's not that they're off doing many of them, not doing evil things. Some of them did terrible things and correlates to the rejection of the prophets. Some of them did, but others were just said, I'm, I'm too busy. You know, Luke's version of this, Luke chapter 14, uh, tells the same parable and that Jesus probably said the things that he did, did many times in the same way any preacher, you know, has a lot of things that they repeat over the years as illustrations. But again, Luke chapter 14 and verse 17, you don't have to flip there if you don't want, but come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. See, he's the most clever of all, right? He blames uh, the wife. He says, I've married a wife and therefore I can't come. So how very modern. They have other things to do. They make excuses. Well, you gave verbal assent, but now you've got too much going on to be bothered with that old invitation from the king. You see, in the immediate context, what are the priests thinking? The priests talk a good game. Say they know all the right answers. They're adorned in just the right way. Say, yeah, we believe all that stuff. But when it comes to the moment to actually celebrate, to celebrate the son, to see what God has done in Jesus, no thanks. I got more important things to do, or so they think. And they go back for whatever it would be, 40, 50 years, if they're lucky, to their businesses and to their farms, and they miss out on the joy. You see, most people, you know, say, why this parable scares me so much, is it seems to say that most of those who hear the invitation of God and Jesus, most of them will say, no thanks. I'm too busy. And while at one level for the Christian this can be discouraging, you say you're going you're gonna to lose a lot more than you win is how you might, but also it should kind of encourage our proclamation to say, you know what, to be a Christian and to celebrate what God has done in Jesus is going to come with a bit of rejection, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility, like these servants, is to do the bidding of the king to say there's an invitation to a fantastic banquet, come, knowing that many will say no. I couldn't help but think of a a story I'd heard some years ago. My old denomination was headquartered in Colorado Springs, and a speaker was telling the story of Bill Fay, who was an evangelist, and Bill Fay said, well, he had in the airports in Colorado run in one day to John Denver, the singer-songwriter. I happen to really like John Denver. And John Denver's uh, father was converted. He, He believed in Jesus. And uh, the way that it worked out is that because of that connection to the father, that Bill Fay, the evangelist, could talk to John Denver and had a few moments, and he opened up his Bible, and he was taking John Denver through the Bible and the great claims of Jesus, if you will, the, the great invitation of God in Christ until the end. Say, John, do you, do you believe this? Will you surrender your life to Christ? Do you see the offer, the offer here made in Jesus? And John Denver said something to the point of, you know, I, I don't need any of that stuff. No, thanks. I don't need that Jesus stuff. You say, we know what happened a short time later, don't we? Right, the plane crash. Say, your mind just can't help but go there. Say, many who hear the invitation to God's great banquet for the celebration of Jesus will worry more about their businesses, about their finances, even about their family. Say, all good things just misplaced to make excuses. I'm too busy for Jesus, too embarrassed for Jesus. 
going to impact my business. Can't be bothered with Jesus. God, maybe yes, but not about that. So what happens? You say, well, what's God going to do? Yes, there's judgment for what they do. That is, when they kill the servants, there is justice. But how does God respond? Amazingly, verses 9 and 10, that he responds with more grace. Do you see what he does? He says, go, therefore, right? If the ones who I initially invited, who gave me verbal assent that they were going to come to the banquet, if they said no, then go out to the street corners and call, right? Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as, as many as you can find, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Say, what an extraordinary thing. All the elite guests, all the polished guests, who had all the right answers, who was on that first level of the invitation, right? Say, I know what it's like to be a second invite. You kind of know when that happens, don't you? You say, well, it's a little bit, the timing's a little, I'm a little late to the game here. Say, no, but that's what's happening. All the first choice of the guests that they refuse. So God, in his kindness, the king here says, go out and gather as many as you can find, even the bad people, and invite them to experience the joy of the king. You see, while our faith... Say, our faith is most certainly exclusive. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. Only those who believe in Jesus are going to be right with God. There's only one way in, and it's the Lord Jesus. It's the most exclusive in that sense. But I think of all the major religions, say, Christianity is by far the most inclusive. Because the invitation, who does the invitation to follow Jesus go to? As many as you can find. It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your ability. You can't earn enough to get to God. You can't contribute enough to get to God. It's the most non-discriminatory invitation there possibly. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Come to the banquet of joy and worship what God has done in Jesus. Do you hear it? And you know, I knew a pastor when I was a boy. He said, in church, he said this a lot. He said, we're all in real trouble now, meaning us here today, you at home. Say, we're in real trouble now because we've opened the Bible and we've read God's word together. We've seen this matter of the invitation to celebrate the son. Say, you know what that makes us? That makes us accountable. Say, that's a great privilege. God's given us his word. But you say, there's no excuse now. We've read this together. That the invitation's gone out to follow what God has done in Jesus. What are we going to do? And don't you just love verse 10? You say, any of us who have the idea that faith in Jesus is just for the put together or the morally holy, or the, the pure on our own, you say, we, we've got to stop in our tracks. You ever meet those people, you invite them to church, they say, well, I can't set foot in the church. The church is going to burn down. If you knew the kind of stuff that I did, I said, we have to have a very long, th this is, this is uh, the very point. So you might put yourself, you say, think back of your own life. You say, I've done some pretty bad things. I've done some sorry things, and I've, I've hurt people, and I've embarrassed uh, you know, made a mess of things. Can I ever be a Christ follower? Say, well, yeah, that's the whole point. Say, all of us have rebelled against God that we're wicked and evil in the sight of God. We've all turned to our own way. Say, all of us would be bad. You say, that's precisely who the invitation goes to. In other words, the invitation here goes to precisely those who would never have any expectation of being invited to the wedding like the royal wedding. You say, I'd never get in, invited to that. And lo and behold, the invitation comes. 
to the outsider, to the bad people. As many as can hear, please come. And you notice, when is this banquet going to be complete? Only when all the wedding hall is filled, verse 10. So the wedding hall was filled. Say, why is God tarrying? We all know Christ is coming again. What's taking so long? Well, God is calling all of his elect into the banquet. And when the wedding hall is filled with all the guests, say, then I think he'll come again. So notice the moves that we've made. We worship a gracious God. He's taken the initiative to prepare the great feast. He spared no expense. He sent out the invitations. Say, when folks rebel, he responds with more grace and sends out more invitations to come to the banquet. Say, we have to expect that most, most who hear the invitation are probably going to say no thanks and turn to worldly affairs. But we must again bank on the grace of God and the invitation to joy. Now finally, verses 11 to 14. 11 to 14 might strike you as a bit odd almost as if do they belong in the same part of the text as Jesus uh, contradicting himself. I mean, so we get the first part, it's almost a complete unit. So some people say no to the invitation. You know, they're punished for their wickedness. And then more invitations go out and they come in and, and there's a great happy ending. That's what you would think. But then this little addendum, so important, verse 11. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. What's happening here? Some on those street corners responded to the invitation, but they made no preparations at all. They came very casually. They came formulaically, almost thoughtlessly. That's the problem with this invitee, that he says, well, yeah, sure, I'll come. But he comes, and he's dressed in a very sloppy fashion. In other words, he's done nothing to show any, any honor to the king or even the fact that he's at a wedding banquet at all. So I think the best way to think about this is the difference, the old distinction between the visible and the invisible church. So this goes all the way back to the New Testament throughout church history, the visible and invisible church. Easy to think. What's the visible church? Well, look around. Say, we're all here. We're embodied. You can wave at your brother and sister. It's, it's you know, wonderful thing to do. We're, we're the visible church today, uh, that we're here in person embodied. But not everyone embodied in the church, while we hope, say, we don't know, we pray, we build each other up, we encourage, we study God's word, say, nobody really knows, right, who, who the, the visible, uh, the, the invisible church is. That is the the true follower of Jesus. See, some you know in your own life have been in a church pew or a church chair for many years, and yet a crucial moment of choice comes, a crucial moment in life, and you think, wow, I don't know if there was any faith there at all. You say, God knows who are his. That's the invisible church. Quite frankly, it's alarming to me how so many pastors are only a part of the visible church. I don't think they're a part of the invisible church at all. It's not mine to judge. Only God knows. That's what's going on here in chapter 22 in this parable. The invitations have went out. Some have said, this is serious. I'm going to meet the king. There's a celebration for the sun. I got, to get the, I got to focus on this very important matter, right? That I need to be adorned appropriately for our kind. We need to put on Christ and to bear fruit. 
Others will respond for me, like, yeah, sit in the church, go to Easter service, Christmas service, sit through the motions. You see, that too is serious. What's the main point? Is that coming to Christ is not a casual affair. It's not one of the things you, you add on or do in your life. But it becomes everything. To say, I want to live now for the Son, that this is my very purpose, that I want to bear great fruit, that it's not casual. So again, think of Easter time. Is this a great, boring, liturgical event for you? Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, same old thing, Jesus dying and rising. Or is it, you know, God is so kind. He sent out the invitations to celebrate the Son that this becomes the very purpose of my life. I want to be ordained or adorned in the right thing. I want to, I want to bear fruit, that I want, to, I want to live for him. That's the thrust of the passage. To respond to the invitation entails preparation and godly obedience. So friends, the point of this parable, our gracious God arranges the banquet. Say many who hear the invitation will reject it, but some, those who are his, will respond in faith. And when we do, that we're to live for him, to surrender to him, to not treat it as a casual affair, but a very serious thing. In fact, the most serious thing of all. So I close with where are we in the parables? Say, maybe you're, you're not a Christian, or maybe deep down you know. Say, I'm a part of the visible church, but I don't think I'm a part of the invisible church because I don't believe any of this stuff about Jesus. Say, do you see that the invitation comes to you? Maybe you're hung up on thinking that you're a bad person. Well, you see, well, it includes you too. That nothing's too bad for Jesus to cleanse you of. That there's a place in the feast to experience his joy. In the parable, am I one who acknowledges God but really has no intention of surrendering to Jesus? That I can talk a good game. I'm just like those priests. Fancy theological education, plenty of good answers, all the right connections, but no real tender heart to the Son. I hope that's not us. Alternatively, are we those who respond formulaically? You go through the motions, but again, you say it's all just quite a bore to you. It's not even a serious thing, but it's way too casual. And I hope, I hope we're all in this final category. I hope we're like those outsiders that had no expectation of ever making it into the banquet. And we see the kindness of God extending even to me. A bad outsider, a Gentile, no reason to anticipate joy. But the kindness of God has come in Christ, that as I surrender to him and say, Lord, I need you, I'm weak, and I'm a sinner. And given the opportunity, I shake my fist in your face and do my own thing. But actually, Lord, you've opened my eyes today to see, yes, you've been very kind to me. You've called us in. Help us to be prepared for that day. Help us to bear fruit. Help us to take this seriously. So that being said, I'll invite Ian and the team back up as we pray. Lord, thank you for these very pointed parables. That in the final week of the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, that in that passion, that these, uh, these just uh, very direct teachings would stir our hearts. To say the challenge isn't so much being a part of the visible church, that that's clear enough. But what about this invisible church? Lord, not that we would be anxious and fretting, but actually to say, you know, I really want to bear fruit, that I, I want to celebrate the Son. And Lord, help us to see your kindness in a world that always thinks of you, has inaccurate views of you, as 
um, all across the board. Help us to see in this that how, how kind and gracious you are, that you've spared no expense. Go out and invite as many as you can find. Invite them to the banquet to celebrate the sun. And Lord, may we not rely on ourselves, but rely on you. May Christ be honored this holy week and now always. In his name we pray, amen. Let's respond. Sing to the Lord.
Hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth who's prepared the great banquet. Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, that we serve a gracious king who's prepared a great banquet. May we not take that summons casually, but we do all we can to celebrate that son. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a wonderful Holy Week.